Ash Olaf. Tires, tires, tires. Welcome back to uh, the Symposium's F1 pod. We're reviewing the Portuguese Grand Prix. Uh, Portugal comes back on the F1 calendar with a bang and then like a damp squibble for the last 30 laps. But we'll, we'll get on to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the first half of the race, specifically the first four laps. Um, but, you know, there was there was good fighting, you know, across the race. I did enjoy the strategy. What, what did you guys think, Sachin? Yeah, the strategy calls were, were interesting. Some choosing to go long, some choosing to go quite early with the pit stops. So, I mean, that's just, a, I guess, it was a characteristic of the of the tarmac we had and um, the tyres which were brought. But it was quite interesting to see whether they could do two stops, whether they needed to do two stops. But obviously, I think most people got away with doing one. So that strategy kind of all came together nicely at the end. And there were cars on quite, I don't want to say worn, but tyres which had grained quite a fair bit at the end and were really struggling for pace. It made for quite an exciting last year laps in the midfield. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Zach, um, clearly your thirst for motorsport has been quenched because I understand the Indy car is going on in the background. Um, what did yeah, you think of the F1, though? I thought it was refreshing, actually, to have a race like that, where it was just, I mean, to have a start to the race that was just as mental as it was, with a McLaren leading, with all of the stuff we haven't seen in so long. I thought it was what Formula One needed, and I think maybe there is a little bit of a, a reason to go back to Portugal for for future seasons. Maybe not not just at Algarve, because I think uh, there are some other tracks there that would be quite popular as well. But I thought overall it was a very good showing from uh, from Portugal. Yeah, I I definitely agree. It was it was a great track. I mean, the whole weekend, as exemplified by the start, seemed to be quite difficult for both the drivers and teams. And you could see in practice that usually it's sort of a, a drab affair, you could say, which is like cars going at 50% around the track. But drivers were really struggling and spinning throughout the practice sessions. And I have to say that the, the difficulty seemed to be created by by two things. Firstly, the the tyre choice for this weekend by Pirelli. Um, the tyres just seemed, couldn't seem to fire up at any point. And also the track and weather conditions. Uh, we got quite cool weather throughout the weekend and as as we know the the circuit had recently been resurfaced so it was you know it was quite a green circuit for the drivers to be going on and Sachin what what kind of explain to me the physics behind uh, how the tyres were interacting with the with the track service well yeah I mean they I think the major issue this weekend was the the resurfacing of the track so the Algarve typically is a very bumpy track hasn't been really resurfaced in a fair while since it was built in 2008 and that was a problem that wasn't really a problem for f1 but uh this year uh due to the pandemic MotoGP have scheduled their final round their title decisive looks to be at portimao and motorbikes don't really like bumpy tracks too much so they decided to resurface the whole thing and that i guess causes issues for f1 in, in this case Usually green tracks, resurface track, usually rubbering quite a fair bit uh, as the weekend progresses. But as we found uh, this week, that the track really never rubbed in. It was really quite a low grip track. 
And I think I think that's something that probably didn't really expect too much when they they bought the hardest three compounds of tyres, expecting to be quite an abrasive surface with uh, high loads going through uh, some of the fast corners at the circuit. But the yeah, I guess the, the surface in terms of the physics of it, essentially there's this layer or you know this uh oily layer or tarmac this bitumen above all the grippy rocks which the f1 tires need to to grip on to and that hasn't been worn away as such so the surface is very low grip very smooth and that induced uh, a lot of tire warm-up issues this weekend and while we've seen uh, in the past where the soft tires seem to heat up quicker than the mediums and vice versa and and the hards, this weekend this all three tires were just very difficult to heat up, fronts, rears, the whole lot, even with the the far sweeping corners of the in, in this track, they all struggled to heat up. And when they did heat up, they were overheating at times, and they just Every team up and down the paddock was struggling with tie warm-ups. Yeah, and Zach, if we move to qualifying, you saw all teams sort of opting to do two or three lap stints during their during their qualifying runs, as opposed to other tracks where you might just see one one flying lap, um, because they just had such a struggle with warming up the tyres. Yeah, exactly. It was quite uh, quite unusual uh, in some ways. It actually made it a bit more exciting as well because you, you knew they had to get two good laps and they couldn't flat spot the tyres on the first run because that would mess them up for the second run. And ultimately, that's probably what cost Valtteri Bottas pole position because he was saying afterwards, I should have done a second lap. And I mean, it was bizarre seeing cars going qualifying or for the top 10 even on the on the medium and not on the soft. But I think we can just say that that describes this season so far and just completely mad and not what not what we would expect as the norm. It was it was actually quite interesting. Yeah, if if I am going to bring in a slightly inebriated Ashwin here, I'd just like to get your thoughts on the on on qualifying as a whole because Bottas, you know, he was he was top of the leaderboard in FP1, FP2, FP3, Q1, Q2, first run of Q3, but then the final lap in the literally the dying seconds of the qualifying session, Hamilton comes in to sneak pole by a tenth. How how good was that lap from Hamilton? I mean, especially given what you've talked about there about the green surface and the smoothness of the surface, I really thought that that lap was really impressive. But I mean, looking at the rest of the season, there was a massive air of kind of inevitability to this. In that, essentially. You had Hamilton at the end taking taking pole and Bottas at the end of the day not coming up with the goods. I mean, in these pods in the past, we've we've kind of spoken a lot about different iterations of Bottas and him trying to basically evolve to become as good as Hamilton. And again, I think we've seen that, you know, it's just it's just not really been possible for him to actually do that. Um, but yeah, let, let's move on. Let's move on to the start of the race. And um I, I, I wrote some notes down during the Grand Prix because I thought I'd be like a professional host in that. And I just have um on my second line science into third into second oh my god he's in first place what the hell zach well yeah exactly i mean it it, it was just incredible to see but i think what it, it it shows as well is that when mercedes can be toppled it can be pretty spectacular 
even if it was only for three laps, four laps, not not very long. But uh, yeah, it just showed as well the quality of the driver that Ferrari are getting next year in, in, in Carlos Sainz, that he was able to do that uh, in a car that really, on, on normal circumstances, should not be overtaking the works Mercedes car and was outperforming the Renault at that point as well. It was It was just incredible to see. Uh, and well, yeah, just what a what a brilliant start to the race that was from Carlos. It's a shame he couldn't keep it going though, a real shame. Yeah, I mean, uh, as Sachin was sort of outlining earlier, like we had troubles with tyre warm up the whole weekend, and and from the start, the it seemed to that you know inherent car performance meant nothing because the the cars with soft tyres, which are generally easier to warm up, they got blistering starts. You saw Sainz, Norris, Kimi Raikkonen making up ten places. Up to up to six by the end of like lap, lap one or two, it was it was absolutely crazy and 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 the Mercedes and and Verstappen was it no Verstappen was on softs but the Mercedes and Leclerc on on medium tires they they just really struggled didn't they Sachin? Yeah, I mean everyone was struggling for tire warmth as we were saying and you either got it at the start or you didn't and science oh my days did he get those tires in the correct spot and oh my days did he send it everywhere around the track got all the way up. Past Mercedes, who were struggling probably a bit more on their mediums to get the heat into the tyres. And of course, once they got the heat into the cars, they they both breezed past science. But yeah, I think because McLaren were, I think, all all weekend struggling with uh, tyre graining. And that sort of forced them down a, a certain strategy, which wasn't uh, optimal as such. And that's probably why they got jumped. Science, you know, from first, dropped behind Leclerc, Gasly, I think even Perez as well. So Perez, we also had a very exciting race, didn't he? Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, Perez, Perez actually, well, he tried to go the outside of Verstappen, um, coming out, I think, of turn two into turn three, and uh, Verstappen sort of just, yeah, he kind of hit him you could say uh, hit Perez but we'll go on to that later because Force India's in terms of incidents had a pretty horrible race um yeah Stroll I mean I don't know what the anyway I mean look Um, did you actually hear what happened with Stroll in the end because he was taken off and it was quite surprising and uh, they said something about the floor but I wondered if there was actually any real details on that yeah, I'm not. Yeah, we'll definitely go into that later. Um, just to finish off the first lap, I think what got lost in a lot of the the melee was <laughs> Bottas actually re- retaking, well, well, gaining the lead, um, and then actually when he o- finally overtook Science when his tyres had warm up on lap five, he was leading the race, um, which was you know which is you could say Bottas winning on turn one again. Um, it was a decent overtaking move he again he didn't leave much room for Hamilton uh pretty impressive from him um but you know when we move on to what decided the race in the end it was lap 15 Hamilton going guys guys my tires my tires they're off they're off they're off and then putting in like four fastest laps before finally overtaking Bottas on lap 20 and and Sachin I've got to ask you like we're seeing this over and over again. Bottas bottling it, and you know he can't. Ma- he clearly can't manage his tyres as well as Hamilton, um, and he loses the race lead that you know that he gets from the start. You know before the first round of pit stops. Like, is he just? Is Hamilton just amazing at managing his tyres? Is it Bottas just trying to, you know, push his tyres too too much? I uh, I'm not quite sure. And we've seen this already. I think at Silverstone, where Bottas, you could arguably say 
pushed his tyres more than he did with Ben Hamilton did and thus got his blowout earlier in the lap and made had to make the longer drip round to get uh, his tyres changed. But to be honest, I was quite surprised Bottas bottled it this, this week and he looked dominating throughout all of practice and for most of qualifying. I would say he got unlucky in qualifying. I think if he was also, he took the option to do a second flying lap on his mediums, he could have easily matched and beaten Hamilton. And Hamilton somehow had the audacity to ask for another, you know, it's not it's not usual that you do two time laps on a set of tyres in qualifying. I don't think many people did, but Hamilton had that sixth sense to know that you get the best lap on the mediums on the second run. And I was actually listening to Albon's radio afterwards, and he did his first run on the mediums. And as soon as he finished his runs, he he asked to go for a second run, and Red Bull shut him down and said, no, we don't have tyres, we don't have fuel, so you have to come back in. So I think after Hamilton had realised, probably through practice or, some, or through the earlier stage in qualifying, that, you know... Once the tyres, due to tyre warm-up, the second second run is better. But yeah, I was surprised that Bottas bottled it this time. I thought that he would have just, once he got the lead, we wouldn't. it would just be a stalemate between him and Hamilton. But obviously, Lewis uh, got the job done yet again and really did somewhat embarrass Bottas the way he so quickly caught up and then just went into the distance. Yeah, I mean, that was... That was just a consummate performance from Hamilton today. And um, it's funny you mentioned what Albon said after the race. Well, what um, Hamilton said after the race was that he anticipated the issues with, with tyre temperatures and he adjusted his setup accordingly, you, you know, um, clearly showing the amount of prep that he put into the weekend. Um, yeah, after he gained the lead on, on lap 20, Hamilton just blasted away, you know. By the end of the race, he had a 25-second lead to Bottas. And... Um, Ashwin, as, as a British man full and through and through, you must be delighted that Hamilton showed that fighting spirit to uh, drag this Mercedes car to another win, um, despite his, you know, cramp in his right calf. I mean, I'm not sure drag is entirely the right verb to use. I think, although we had what, what Zach identified earlier as quite an interesting issue with tyre deck for Mercedes, I don't think anyone serious is going to try and say that he wasn't with the most superior tools. But I mean, just touching on something briefly that Sachin mentioned, I'm interested to know what, what you guys think about this issue. That is it the driver's decision when they're released in qualifying and how many runs they get, or is that down to the team? Because if it's down to the team, then Mercedes, at least the Bottas side of the garage, might have done a massive oversight. And I'd wonder why he only got one run and Hamilton got two. And I just wondered the actual mechanics of that decision making. Um, but again, onto the onto Hamilton dragging it back, as you said anyway. I think that was obviously a massive achievement. We've seen him do it a lot of times before, and I'm sure we'll touch on later his overall career achievement. Zach, what do you think of these conspiracy theories? Are you down with it? I think there's something interesting uh, to be said about it, for sure. I mean, on the one hand, you would think the engineers would be the ones who would know the the track temperatures, they'd know the the fuel runs, they'd know the orders they're sending the cars out in. So you'd think maybe from that point of view, they'd probably have more of the calls from the strategy side. But at the same time, they'll have to listen to the drivers because they're the ones going out there and doing it. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, it, it, there might be some truth to it. I mean, maybe there's some sort of mad conspiracy that Red Bull are trying to force Albon out so they gave him one lap so that he would qualify only six. I mean, I don't know. 
I think these 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 conspiracy theories are interesting, but I think there is definitely something to be said about the uh, about who dictates who goes out, and I, I can't really understand why the drivers would be given all of the say on that because they wouldn't have access to the same amount of track data. They might know how the track feels, but they won't know necessarily when other people are going out. They won't have the radio channels open to hear listen, and listen to the other teams. So that's my opinion. I know there'll be people out there who will probably disagree with me, uh, as, as they're no, entitled I mean, to, of course. The pure, like, mechanics of it, the pure mechanics of it is basically that surely other people do need to be involved because, as you say, the driver has no idea when the other cars are being released from their respective garages. And as a result, you know, the teams, the teams who release the, release the car, don't they? They tell you to go out. And the driver can say, yeah, oh, exactly. I think I need two runs. But, but then, you know, it, it actually does seem to be a kind of team job. And as a result, Bottas, I think, should be questioning his, his engineers and saying, you know, why did Hamilton get two runs and why, why didn't I, essentially? I mean, could, could one argue, though, that a possible reason for this as well is if you look at uh, Bottas's race engineer, for example, it's a much newer partnership than it has been with uh, Lewis Hamilton and Pete Bonington. So there might be an element of maybe just knowing the driver as well. I know that it's a bit rich to say that, given that Bottas has had his current... Uh, current race engineer for over a year now but maybe there's something to be said for that in, in just learning the style learning the subtle hints that maybe you develop over a couple more years maybe so it it, it could be all sorts of reasons but it, it, uh, yeah uh, i think that's probably uh, quite an interesting interesting point that you make actually yeah well i mean um the relationship between pete bonington and hamilton is often is often something that we see almost every race um, I think um, Bono, as he's known, is is very good at controlling Hamilton and, and calming him down when Hamilton's constantly complaining about his car and Bono's just a calming influence in the team. Whereas you saw in the race today, I mean, even during the first pit stops, Bottas wanted to do, um, as he did, as he's asked for before, the alternate strategy to Hamilton. Um, where when Hamilton went on hard hards for his final stint, Bottas was like, let's go on soft, let's go on soft. And Mercedes was like no you're not doing that that's not how this team works um yeah i i don't know i don't really know why bottas cares anymore he's not winning this year's title and he's not winning next year's title (laughs) but whatever um yeah as we said you know after lap 20 the, the race was pretty much done and apart from a few you know battles in the midfield which we'll get onto as we as we go down the race classification uh yeah, there wasn't really much else to say, to be honest. Hamilton just cruised to another victory. On P1, his 92nd and record-beating victory, um, the debate between Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher is fierce, and we'll give you a sample of that today uh, in the final section of our pod. I know I know, Sachin is ready to go, ready to anger Hamfosi. Um, but yeah, congrats, congratulations to Hamilton have to be in order. Um, he is truly I mean, one of Lord. the greatest. Yeah. Before we just move on, because you mentioned Bottas there, I mean, just psychologically, he just seems completely gone. I mean, Brundle said, you know, we, it was the onwards and upwards, so patronising, and and he was just and Bottas was just like, oh, I had no pace and I've got no idea why, and it just, I don't know, just the wheels seem to have come off, if not well, figuratively, if not literally, and honestly, it, the fact it was so inevitable that Hamilton would pass him on track just just seemed to me that, you know, disappointing from Bottas' point of view. Yeah, I definitely agree. Bottas looks completely done. I mean, he had to be honest. He's look kind of looked like that since like Spain, to be honest. Um, yeah, he's not not a happy camper. Uh, and he came second today, but you know, sorry, Sachin. Sorry. I mean, you have to admit, I mean, Bottas 
while we we caught we 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 berate him for bottling every every time. I mean, the man's a good number two driver. You you can't you know he's there or thereabouts. He's not faster than Hamilton. So he's not going to be taking points off Hamilton. He's done a great wingman job for the you know for 2017 2018. You could argue where Hamilton was in a proper title fight with Vettel. And I mean he's I think he's proven that he's he's a great number two driver, but. He's not going to be a Rosberg and take the title to Hamilton anytime soon. And I think we just have to to live with that with that fact and understand that if Mercedes produces a dominant car, it's going to be Hamilton's championship. And there's no two ways about it uh, if Bottas is in that second seat. Yeah, I think it's something that fact is something that the whole world kind of knows. But Bottas's ego is such, you know, as a top racing driver, he always wants to be. Um, his competitors and, and when your competitor is Lewis Hamilton that's a terribly difficult job um, Max Verstappen came in third pretty lonely race for him at no point did he look like quite early you know challenging the um, the Mercedes equally lonely was Charles Leclerc in fourth but nevertheless a fantastic result for him Zach you know Ferrari seemed to be making improvements um, you know in the development side um, it's too late for this year, but next year maybe they'll be challenging for wins again? Question mark, please, hopefully. I wouldn't I wouldn't quite go that far yet, uh, just because I, I think there are just some fundamental issues with that car. E- even if we take the power element and the power unit side away, I think there are other issues there, partly because as a result of the, the engine being not so good, that will affect the development of the rest of the, the car as well. And given that they're going to lose 10 points of downforce next year, as is everybody, uh, it is an issue. I, I think in the hands of Leclerc and Sainz, maybe they, they will do better because they will have a, a, a fresh young driver lineup who can really sort of go at it without the baggage that, say, Sebastian Vettel has. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't see them winning races next year. I, I, I could, though, see Leclerc at least getting it on the podium again and possibly Sainz. Uh, I think that's more of a, of a question mark until we've seen him settle into the team. But no, unfortunately, I don't think he's gonna, they're going to win. Any races next year? I think 22, as their CEO said, is probably the uh, the best they can hope for. Damn it, Zach! Oh, I had my hopes up. Oh well. Um, Pierre Gasly in, in fifth, a very decent result for him. He was one of those who, as Sachin said, you know, he was on the soft tires for quite a while, and once he'd sort of blasted past the graining phase, uh, the the tires really came into their own, and he was man- he managed to blast through the field. Fantastic result for him. Carlos Sainz in sixth. I mean. He was quite philosophical after the race, but, you know, saying, you know, he was in first, but didn't expect to last that long, of course. And, you know, he might be disappointed that he didn't, you know, finish a bit higher, but still great result for the team. Sergio Perez in seventh, recovered magnificently after the first lap incident with Verstappen to, to, you know, basically do a a two-stop strategy um, and, you know, had showed excellent pace. I mean, Sachin, I'd, Walk me through that incident on turn one, and, and whose fault was it? Uh, the Stroll Norris incident. The, the Perez Verstappen incident. The, the steward said it was nobody's fault, just a racing incident. But I, I, I kind of feel like Verstappen could have left more space on the outside. I don't know what you think. Well, I think I think Stroll admitted afterwards that he wasn't really looking at his, he was looking at his dash, so he didn't really see Verstappen there. In all honesty, I think the stat. It's a bit of a miscommunication. I think it was fair enough to say it was a bit of a racing incident or a 50-50. Mm. Verstappen could have 
should have realised that Stroll was going for a second push up and really shouldn't have tried to overtake him. I mean, just due to the fact that Stroll kept his DRS open throughout the whole straight, uh, suggested that he was still going for another push lap. And Stroll should have been looking <laughs> before, he, before he turns into a corner, for God's sake, and should have seen Verstappen's on his inside and really just should have, should have just given up on the corner. But at the end of the day, they're both going to... If they're both on push laps, the staff is taking an inside line into t- turn one. He's not going <laughs> to do a good lap if he's taking the inside line into turn one. He's losing time there. And Stroll, if Stroll crashed, crashed out of the session and lost a chunk of time uh, in, on, an, on a brand new track where he needs to land and get to go to the tyres. So, I mean, a bit pointless, but I, I agree with the Stewarts on that one. That was a bit 50-50, but it was very similar to the incident we saw between Stroll again and Lando Norris in the race. Yeah, I, I was actually talking about the Prez Verstappen, the Prez spin at the start of the first lap of the race, which uh, that I, one. I think was a bit, I mean, I, I thought personally Verstappen could have done better with that. Um, but yeah, the Force Indies having a nightmare weekend. You mentioned the Stroll-Norris incident. I think this was more, the, the penalty was more justified for, for Stroll, Zach. I mean, pretty terrible driving Diabolical, I thought. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should be sending uh, uh, Lance Stroll a copy of How to Drive on the Road. You know, mirror signal maneuver. He did not this way, but obviously you can't signal. But maybe you, know, you should mirror. Use your mirrors, mate. Um, yeah, I, I don't really understand what Lance was thinking. I think Lando was just a completely innocent party in, in all of all of that. I mean, why Stroll thought going to the outside when the inside was clear and open? Would would make sense. I just don't, I don't understand. That. I know they're going very quickly. I know it's, you've got to make a, a judgment very quickly. But Lance Stroll is, has been in Formula One since what 2017. Now he's been around long enough in in motorsport and in the top level of motorsport to not make those sorts of mistakes. And I can't have a question. When you have races like that, if it weren't for the fact his father owned the team, would he be in Formula One? Because I significantly doubt he would have ever made it. When he, with drives like that, it was just embarrassing. And poor Lando as well just gets mm. caught up in that with absolutely no no fault of his own, really. I think the weird thing about that incident as well I was that... I think that's... Zach, I mean, I do think that's slightly harsh. I mean, although we do make that dad meme a lot, I think I think Stroll has put in some good performances. Um, but I think I think we can take this on a more, like, bigger point that, that essentially the, the racing points have been a bit of a disappointment all year in that we, we saw them basically take a lot of Mercedes parts, maybe, maybe even a, a close to an illegal number. And we expect them as a result to even be ahead of ahead of Ferrari, but they've not really been able to get that like third row of the grid spot at the end of the race consistently. And as a result, based on where they were expected to be on paper, I mean they've just not really lived up to it over the whole season, in my view, anyway. I think you're right there. Yeah, I agree with that analysis. I mean, we all came into the season thinking that you know the, the pink Mercedes should should be locking out that second row, should be you know they'd be fighting with the rebels, but. They really haven't made that development step forward. And I think that's primarily due to that. If you're copying a car, you don't understand it. You don't know how to develop it. And they've really been, I feel like they've been struggling to get updates to the car, which actually work and actually are taking the step forward they need to compete with the rest of the midfield. Where, yeah, you know, McLaren and Ferrari and Renault, who, you know, they, they understood their car. And they understood the philosophy much better. And... The updates they are bringing, they're, they're working. As we can see, the Ferraris made a great leap in performance this weekend with their updates with, in, with Charles Leclerc. Renault in the past few races, uh, I think at Silverstone, they really unlocked some some speed. 
and Ricardo got quite close to the podium and he got his podium in uh, in the last race. So, yeah, the, the racing points aren't uh, that, I guess, going into next year, they should have understood, I guess, the, the philosophy and they'll be much better on a much better uh, foundation to develop the 2021 car. But, yeah, I think... I, I, mean, I think... I think this is where you can offer some optimism for Ferrari from the perspective that we've seen massive Red Bull mid-season development over the years and even this season. We've seen big developments from Renault which genuinely do push them up the grid and Ferrari, although they might be starting from a low base next year, I do think they have the resources certainly and, and you know, honestly the technical power to do some in mid-season even next year updates that could lead to some surprising results. I wouldn't rule them out completely. Do I think they'll challenge, from, challenge seriously with Mercedes for any kind of serious constructor spot? No. But do you think they can grab a race win here or there, maybe one or two next season? Yes. Well, I mean, the, the issue with next year's development is that it's going to be overshadowed by the 2022 regulations. So if we're looking for massive car development during next year, I, I don't honestly don't really see that happening. But, you know, you mentioned Renault, who he thought they had a pretty awful weekend, uh, but then in the race kind of managed to put it around to get six valuable points for the team. Alcon, as, as we mentioned earlier, doing 53 laps on his opening stint with the medium tyres, which is just far longer than anyone else managed to do, um, and managed to finish ahead of Ricardo. Fantastic result. Vettel got a point for him, and I think it was, it was it Martin Brundle or something at the end of the race saying, well, that's a great result for Vettel. He got one point. It's like... Oh, this is really, really sad. The point, the point where we're saying a Ferrari, a four-time world champion, should be happy with one point. Um, it's just really sad, isn't it, Zach? Yeah, how times change, isn't it? it, it it's, it's sad in a lot of ways because he, he was so good at, at his height at, at Red Bull and, and, and at the good spells with Ferrari. And to think that actually quite an impressive and, and, and in its own way, very successful relationship, albeit not the success they wanted that it's ending in, in the way that it is. You'd have hoped it would have ended with you know, a victory, a couple of pole positions. But when he's at the point where he's gone from never finishing 10th in a, in a season before to, I think, finishing, I don't think it's 10th, four or five times this season, it's just a real shame. Uh, and I, th- I think maybe the, the second that Sebastian goes off to, to Aston Martin, the better, because I think it's going to give them the chance, both parties, the chance to, to reset because it seems as though that's what they really need when you're pulling in results like P10. I mean, he, he was out qualified by Williams. That's embarrassing. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, I don't, I don't want to be ripping into everybody today, but there's a bit embarrassing to be out qualified by, by Williams. I mean, even if you had some sort of, 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 of un, unfortunate incident on your, on your qualifying runs, it's still not a good reflection on the car or on, or on the way that everything's working within the team and the dynamics. I mean, the thing, the thing is, right, is that you could say that had 2018 gone slightly differently and Vettel had won the World Championship, he'd be in that discussion for the all-time greats that we're going to have later. But the fact is, is that the decline is just it's so steep and it's so depressing. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. He needs to leave that team. Right I think now. I think with Vettel, the main issue is I think all, all I think all drivers have have their weaknesses. And Vettel's, I think, is Vettel's weakness is a very unstable rear end. And when we've seen it before with, I think, Red Bull in 2014, when Ricardo outdid him, where they had the unstable rear end partially due to the 
the lack of durability of that Renault power unit back in 2014 gave Vettel the unstable rear end, and he didn't perform well that year. And this year, I think, at the beginning of this year, Ferrari made a decision that Vettel wasn't worth the future and have been developing the car around Charles, and they've not been... The upgrades that have been coming have been, I guess, improved, I guess, the more the front end of the car, where Charles can... I guess he's been able to adapt better than Vettel has, and Vettel's still struggling with the very loose rear end, which he... I guess when he... he in the Red Bull days, when he was dominating with the, the blown diffuser, where the car could just stick to the floor throughout all the all the high-speed corners and it was so stable but I think yes moving to I guess racing point what will be known as Aston Martin which has a, a Mercedes have now gone to the Mercedes concept Mercedes design concept should uh, enable them to have a much stabler rear end and he'll be able to I guess perform akin to what we maybe saw in uh, in his Red Bull days yeah, Raikkonen finishing 11th. Uh, he was as high as 6th after a few laps, but he just fell away because the Alfa Romeo can't really perform as well as you want it to be. Alexander Albon. Well, this was a really important weekend for him um, because Christian Orner said ahead of qualifying that uh, essentially Albon has two races to prove that he should he deserves to be in that Red Bull seat for next year. This, uh, this race and next week... Is it next week or the next race being Imola? And uh, Zach, I don't think he proved anything except he should be dropped unfortunately i think i think you're you're right there i mean it's 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 not great when you're out qualified by your teammate anyway uh but when you're out qualified by your teammate and then you fall back in the way you he did it wasn't great he didn't really get going and he got lapped and whilst it's it's not necessarily always a good thing to make comparisons to other drivers when we look at pierre gasly in the in the red bull last year by the point where he was getting lapped by his teammate, he was on the edge of losing a seat, and he did lose his seat eventually. So perhaps he's he's really on on the the end of of the road now. I mean, look, if he can have a brilliant Imola uh, next weekend, maybe he can pull it back. But I think if if Red Bull have the chance to get someone like Hulkenberg, who has proven himself to be actually much better than maybe we gave him credit for, when you look at how he did in, in Eiffel. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look good for for Albon, and maybe Formula One is about to to close on him. Ash, you don't have much sympathy for Albon, do you? No, I mean, well, I mean, Horner said it pretty brutally to Brundle when he said that it's Albon's seat to lose, and Albon does not seem to be doing much to justify keeping that seat. Gasly um, is massively outperforming him, which might suggest something about you know car the car balance mattering more than the driver per se. Who knows? But Gasly's managed to even get a Grand Prix win, obviously in very unusual circumstances, but it's a win nonetheless and it counts. But at the end of the day, um, I, I just don't think Albon's, Albon's doing enough to even, even merit an argument that he, could, that he could keep his seat, to be frank. Um, where would Red Bull go from here is interesting. Um, Horner's been a very long-standing admirer of Nico Hülkenberg, and that's been known to everyone for a long time. So I think he's, he might be the bookie's favourite. But, but other than that, no, I don't have much sympathy for Albon. He hasn't lived up to the standard, to be frank. Sachin, I'll let you have the final word before we move to the debate, the big debate. I would agree with what everyone said that Albon's, I mean, if you compare it to uh, Gasly's performances from last year, Albon has now gone so low that he's in that he's in the same position. But I guess my only query would be, 
if you put any other driver in that seat, you put a Hulkenberg, you put a Perez, would they really do any better than what uh, Alex is doing? There's no honesty. That Red Bull has been tailored to Verstappen. It has a much like, I guess, uh, the Ferrari has to to Charles. That that Red Bull has been tailored to Verstappen's needs, which have been a nice loose rear end and a nice front end, which points in the direction that Max wants it to go. And Albon's been really struggling with traction and has, and with the instability, much like Vettel has. So I don't know if all drivers have if 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 you put a Hulkenberg or Perez in there, could they really uh, deal with that instability at the rear and adapt to it? In all honesty, Perez I think could. Perez, we've known he's been he's been I think at Otmar Safnar, the team principal of Racing Point, says he almost he's almost an automatic traction control. The guy is so I think he he could do a job in the Red Bull and could uh, could at least keep up a fair bit with Max, but. I know Hulkenberg is the is the is the probably the favourable choice. I think Max respects him very much as a driver, and Horn is very much a admirer as well. And he's German, I guess, which suits the more the Red Bull branding and marketing side of things. So it looks to be if Alex is gonna is gonna have a good race, I think it will have to be Imla. Imla has, I guess, less traction zones. As well, there's only one real big traction zone coming into the second sector. So I think if Alex is nowhere near Max again, come Imola, I it's Kearns. I mean, I mean, is there an option like Gasly did for him to perhaps replace Kivia at uh, what was Toro Rosso? No, I think the three seats have been already made up by Red Bull. You have Max in at Red Bull. Gasly staying out for Tari, and then Yuki Sonoda is coming up from F2. And Sonoda, the only question mark around him, what will he get the super license points? But this week, uh, the FIA amended the point system to the point where he only needs now 30 points, so the usual 40 super license points to qualify for a super license. And at the moment, I think Sonoda's third in the championship, which means he will get full 40 points. And with the points he's already collected in his junior career, I think I calculated. I was quite interested by this. I calculated he only needs to drop to like needs to drop to seventh in the championship to lose to not obtain a super license, which would be I think he needs to drop around 50 points, which isn't happening in the final two rounds. So Samoda's so more or less got his super license and he's got his ticket to F1 already. Well, I mean. Very interesting analysis from Sachin there. The one thing I would say is that if you want an example of a of a person that can jump into somebody else's car and somebody else's setup, I mean Hulkenberg's done that more than once this season. But you know, I'll let I'll let the audience chew on that. Um, we'll wait for news on on that on that second Red Bull seat. Um, now on to the moment you have all been waiting for. Hamilton, this weekend, I have to say, was all about Hamilton uh, winning his 92nd uh, Grand Prix in F1, um, becoming the driver with the most wins. And that really has to strike up the debate about whether he is, in fact, the greatest of all time. And I think we'd all agree that, you know, the biggest contender to Hamilton will be Schumacher. And uh, before we jump into the debate, I'll just I'll just set out the, the background to this. I mean... 
Hamilton, 92 wins. Schumacher, 91 wins. Um, Michael Schumacher, seven world titles. Lewis Hamilton will most likely win his seventh and obviously record-equaling title this year. Um, 161 podiums for Hamilton to Schumacher's 155. They are really well matched in terms of stats, but there can only be one one greatest of all time. And I'll let I'll let the challenger start off to begin with. Um, Zach, tell me why Hamilton's the best. Uh, it's a very broad question to start. So I think there are, are a couple of reasons. One, it's just his consistency. He has been tremendously fast. I think he is the only driver to have won a race in every season of competition. That's impressive. When you think that people like Senna never even achieved that. Okay, Senna was in the Tolman for the first year. But still, it shows a lot about Hamilton's speed. He could do that. I mean, Schumacher didn't even do that. And even and that's if we ignore the debacle that was 2010 through 12. Um, but I think as well, what's important to remember about Hamilton is he has achieved all that success in cars that haven't always been that great. Say, for example, the 2009 McLaren, the 2013 Mercedes. But he's done all of these results in a way that has been clean. All his driving has been clean. You don't see him getting involved in the Schumacher Hill incidents of, of Australia. You don't. Yeah, you, you don't. You, OK, yes, he's he's not been perfect. I don't know. Driver is. And you could argue, say, in Hungary 2014, when he didn't let Rosberg go, despite the team telling him to. You could argue that's one of the worst things he's done. But he's not had dirty driving incidents in the way that people used to accuse Schumacher of. I mean, you could even look at Schumacher in 2010 and say that. And I, I don't think you can ignore when, when saying who is the best. Well, if, if Hamilton has achieved more in terms of statistics and he's achieved more cleanly, I, 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 that, that, that would give an impression as to his skill, to his mental strength, but also to his sportsmanship. And I think when you're looking at a great in, a, in, in any sport, I mean, one of the reasons we look at Nicky Lauda as a great of the sport was partly because of his sportsmanship and the way he came back in 76. I think we would have to apply the same logic to Hamilton in this case. Well, Hamilton I mean, with 35.11% uh, uh, of, of wins in, in, in his race career compared to Schumacher's 29.55%. From, so from that perspective, Hamilton seems to be more consistent. Ashwin? I mean, uh, what are we, are we asking, you know, who was the very best driver at their peak or who has had like the, the most numbers accumulated? Because at the end of his career, Hamilton's you know, probably still got three or four years left, maybe two, maybe two to four years left. He's going to have more polls, more wins, whatever than, than, than Schumacher, probably more titles. Right. So he, he would have accumulated more. Who was the best at their peak? Now, I'd argue perhaps Schumacher was more dominant. You look at seasons like 2001, 2002, where he just almost doubled the next next challenger's points total because he was in a tyre system and a Ferrari that was like bespoke to him that no other team could compete with. Now, does do I think that's a fair comparison? No. And do I think the discussion actually should be restricted to these two drivers? Not at all. I think far more cogent and knowledgeable people at sport than me have identified Jim Clark and Ayrton Senna as probably the two most naturally gifted drivers to ever drive in Formula 1. And at their peak, probably the two best. Now, everyone would argue that Hamilton has more natural ability than Schumacher, but everyone would also, at the same time, most people would argue that Schumacher is probably the hardest worker, more of a more of a perfectionist in that classic kind of German way. So it depends what you're prioritizing here. The very best or like the best numbers. Um, and I think actually on both counts, Hamilton will probably beat Schumacher, especially for the other moral reasons that Zach's outlined. Well, I mean, that's certainly an interesting thing to say. I think when we talk about an all-time great, um, 
we're, we're both looking at their career as a whole. So we're looking at statistics, but we're also looking at, you know, um, how they're perceived within the sport. For example, what Zach says about sportsmanship and, and I also think it just before we move on to Sachin, because I think it's been a bit too one-sided, guys. I want some Schumacher love. Um, before we move, I think it's quite unfair to say that uh, to to sort of place the, these two drivers into categories of oh he's the most hardworking or he's the most talented, he's the fastest. Because we we've seen time and time again that Hamilton is the perfectionist that people don't give him credit for. I mean he improves season upon season, and you know when you watch him drive, it's just beautiful. There's almost no mistakes. Um, and Schumacher wasn't, you know, he wasn't too slow either, you know. Um, but yeah, Sachin, come on, come on, give give Schumacher some love, come on. Right. So first of all, on the sportsmanship point, if you were to have a driver you wanted to hire in your car, would you much? Would you prefer Hamilton sportsmanship like Hamilton or a greedy bastard like uh, Schumacher who will do what he needs to do to win and get the points for your team? I would probably go for a Schumacher who just gets the points. Yeah, he punts off hill, but you lose, you win championship. Otherwise, yeah, you're, you lose the championship. Four reasons Barrichello has entered the chat. Come on. The team gets the more points if both people do reasonably well. Secondly, come on, Ash. Let's actually get his points Secondly, out. Come on. As you mentioned, Ruben Barrichello, teammates-wise, Schumacher dominated his teammates. If I remember, a certain Lewis, Lewis Hamilton got beaten by Jensen Button, in the championship, then got beaten by Rosberg to the to the title. Schumacher never never had that with a team. He steamrolled the team. He dominated the team. I think uh, what Ash was saying about you know he had a, he had a Ferrari bespoke to him with Bridgestone tires bespoke to him. That's because he he you know the man was one of the fastest drivers of all time. You you deserve that. Yes, that's what you get when you're on the fastest driver when you're that respected within the motorsport community that people want to make. You know, they want Michael Schumacher driving Bridgestone tyres because that's what they want to sell. So, of course you're going to get that. And, of course, Hamilton, as such, is saying he's going to be in the best car. Mercedes are going to fork out his stupid amount of paycheck he gets every year because they want Lewis Hamilton driving and winning in a Mercedes and not winning in a Red Bull or whatever other car can compete with Mercedes when they do. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Hamilton... Well, I guess in recent times, since Rosberg, he's been able to get that Mercedes team around him and build it around him. And Bottas has kind of just been this little bitch for the entire four years <laughs> he's been there for. But, you know, when when Rosberg was there, he didn't able he wasn't able to get the team around him. He was the team was split with tension. And even in, the, in his McLaren days, uh, by the end, by the time Hamilton left, they all hated it. For leaving, they all got around Button. I remember in was it the uh, Ita- Italian Grand Prix? Thomas and <laughs> the Italian Grand Prix was it the? If you remember, what was it uh, uh, a DataGate or something in Spa when Hamilton released all his telemetry? Yeah, uh, Italy 2012. Yeah, where yeah there was Spa in 20 Spa in 2012 where he released all his telemetry. That pissed off the team when he was Hamilton got pissed off that Button went a different way on setup. And so he decided to release on on Twitter the some of the telemetry, you know, telemetry which is top secret to McLaren. Then in Italy, where he I think he won in he won the race, and was still like after the race, like uh, no one no one really cared too much. They're all they're all commiserating Button for I think he had a DNF or something, and uh, he was getting pissed off about that. I mean, the one thing you could say about Hamilton is that because he entered 
to sport at such a young age. He had to learn quite a lot while Schumacher kind of just did what he wanted and kind of... I mean, he, Schumacher won a Ferrari. Like, do you know how shit they are as an organisation? Like, to win Ferrari, to win a championship in a Ferrari, fair play, mate, because if you win in, in a Ferrari, you're going up against a whole pyramid of... Well done uh, for winning within, like, with a massive institutional su- support of the entire sport. Well done. I'm sure that was a massive challenge for you. No, but what I'm saying, with, with Ferrari, you're, you're going up against a whole pyramid of business... Uh, politics and... Politics and stuff. strategy. Exactly. Shit which is, team that Schumacher dragged to six world titles. Exactly. <laughs> I, I never would have thought in all of this that, that we'd some, you'd somehow be praising Schumacher but criticising Ferrari. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I absolutely love that from Sajid. It's absolutely say, brilliant. I, I have like, to bring on like. Ash because he's so angry right now. He's been shaking his head. I, I go, like. go on, Ash, go on. I just roasting on like Twitter. Like, what do you think Schumacher would have done on Twitter, I, like if, if it existed in like 2002? Like literally anything. Rem- Barrichello wins a single race. That's it. I swear to God, every single every single bit of data. Like uh, Schumacher would rip the engineers. Like I admit, Hamilton. I've said this myself to you guys. Hamilton was childish. I admit that's not desirable. But at the end of the day, he pulled out the results. He's he's genuinely so naturally talented. And I, I don't like comparing the social media because. Schumacher never had to deal with that and you know I do actually think it matters also on another note like maybe a more serious note that Hamilton is genuinely one of the first kind of ethnic minority drivers in Formula One in the same way that kind of Williams sisters are in in tennis I think that genuinely does matter in determining his greatness in determining other things and I don't think that should be that should be discounted um, but at the end of the day, like all, I've, all else I've got to say really before Zach can come in with, with a kind of final word is just that I, I think we should include other people in this, in this discussion, to be frank. But yeah. I think, that's, I think that's absolutely spot on. But I just want to make a point against the, the teammates argument about who, uh, who, Schumacher, who Schumacher had as his teammates and who uh, Hamilton had as his teammates. Um, so both, both have had, I think, two world champion teammates. For Schumacher, it was uh, uh, PK and Rosberg. Uh, bearing in mind that PK, when, when when he was teammate to Schumacher, was in his last season in Formula One and was really at the end of it. And Rosberg hadn't taken off by the time he was teammates with uh, with Schumacher. So actually, he never really had a, a challenging teammate in the same way as Hamilton had Ros- with Rosberg in uh, 2014, 15 and 16, as well as Button in 2011. So I think whilst that is a very strong point, I think the, the, the natural response to that is that yeah, Lewis has had to go up against world champions as teammates at a significantly better stage in their careers than Schumacher did with world champion teammates as well. well I think it's fair to say, I think Rosberg did outdo Schumacher when they were together. Uh, but I think it's also fair to say that Schumacher was at the end of his career and was really... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, uh, he shouldn't have retired in the first place. He was in his prime, I think, in 06. He should have really continued into... I think he was forced out by Kimi, wasn't he? I think they won. I mean, yeah, yeah he, was, he was forced out of Ferrari at the end of the day because, I don't know, the, whoever was CEO of Ferrari at the time wanted to basically reinstate some loyalty into the into the team. So got rid of the dream team of Jean Todd, Ross Braun eventually, and Schumacher eventually shifted them all out. So uh, that was part of that and got Kimi on board, who was the hot property at the time. 
Right, so. if, if I'm going to help Sachin out in this debate for the final thing, because I, I have to say that I think Schumacher's racecraft and uh, his overall as a driver, I think he's a better driver than Lewis Hamilton. Three reasons. First of all, he never, ever makes mistakes. Whenever he crashes, it's because he's trying to take someone out for the championship, all right? Hamilton, he has bottled a few times, hasn't he? I'm thinking 2007 China, mate. You're driving into the pit lane and then you spin off oh, on the gravel. Oh, That's an that. absolute travesty. I can't believe that hasn't been brought up yet, mate. Schumacher would never do that shit, man. Interestingly, interestingly, Lewis talked about that today and how he purely blamed it more or less on his on his youth and not wanting to question the team. Which I think was it's a bit weird when you're going for a world championship. You you're leading the world championship and you don't have the balls to question your own team. Yeah, you're in your first season, but I mean, by this point, you've sworn over the radio. You've questioned the team's decision by some point. You've gone up against Fernando Alonso, for God's sake. So You, you yeah. shouldn't be crashing into the fucking gravel in the pit lane. Secondly, right, Schumacher in wet conditions, much better driver than Hamilton. Hamilton undoubtedly has shown his greatness in wet conditions. I'm thinking of Silverstone 2008. But I'm talking consistently, Schumacher was better than the whole field in changeable and wet conditions. He was... An absolute master. Finally, I think Schumacher was a better qualifier. Um, I remember, well, I mean, I, I watched this race many years later, but he had a broken leg in 1999 uh, before the Malaysian race, but he still qualified like a second faster than every single other person. I think Hamilton does have a weakness in qualifying that has been exploited by both Rosberg, Button, and um, and Bottas even at times. I think, I think, I think Schumacher is the more complete driver. I think the qualifying is a bit unfair because during Schumacher's period, they had they they qualified on heavy fuel, while Lewis, in 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 the modern era and such, they qualify on literally one lap of fuel. Can't, can't take this. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Hamilton is is like consensus along with maybe Ayrton Senna is the best qualifier, almost like university in, in Formula One history. Like I'm sorry, but single lap qualifying. Okay, I know Schumacher's qualifying was different, so maybe it's not actually fair to compare them. But on, like, single lap, pure pace, how many times have we seen Hamilton just pull it out the bag, like, by half a second? And given how similar the cars are, that's just such a massive margin. Or is sometimes even more than that. And, like, on changeable conditions, I don't think Schumacher is better enough for it to make out the other, make up the other deficits, to be frank. I mean, I'm not, I know, like, I'm a British fan and I see what Hamilton, but I genuinely think the rational case is actually with Hamilton, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as well, because talking about all the qualifying elements as well, I think it was Eddie Irvine a couple of years ago said that Schumacher used to get his setup horribly wrong and would end up copying his. Uh, so it's probably no reason, no, no wonder, sorry, that his qualifying was was good because he was using his teammate setup. If you believe Eddie Irvine, I mean, okay, he probably uh, probably isn't quite happy with uh, with, with the, how things turned out at Ferrari, but still, it's it's worth noting. Well, well, guys, I mean, that was a fierce and heated debate. I, I personally love it. I think we should do more of these more often. I think next time, Alonso versus Vettel. <laughs> Little cheeky debate. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, we do have to end the pod. Um, it's been fantastic sharing this hour with you guys. Uh, Zach? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was a good, good, good debate as always. Brilliant chat as always. Thank you to the listeners as well. It's brilliant Sachin. to have them on board. Sachin, Sachin. Yes, it's been been great to do this. Uh, thanks for everybody who's listening and supporting us. I guess. And as a side note, I am a Hamilton fan, so come at me. 
I'm the only Schumacher Fosey here, and it's really disappointing. For fuck's sake. Okay, Ashwin, Ashwin. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I think we should definitely do more historical debates and stuff. It's been really, really fun. Cheers, Loss, for hosting and having such a good knowledge of this Grand Prix today. It's better than I could have mustered. And yeah, thank you to Loss. Thank you to Zach and uh, Sachin as well. Right. Till next time. Bye bye. Symposium with Ash Orlack.